Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at Romans chapter 7 through 16. Just a few extra thoughts as you study your own, on your own, the Come Follow Me manual and everything. I really have always appreciated Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. I wrote a book called What I Wish I'd Known When I Was Single. I had a hard time finding a someone that would marry me as a young adult. And I, I loved this idea of expressed by Paul. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, for the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now the JST softens that a little bit, but what I like is that part in verse 18. What I like is that part in verse 18, for to will is present with me. I have the will to do, for for me this was a helpful verse when I was trying to uh, find a wife. To will, I I want to do that. My will is that I want to uh, be married, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. (laughs) And it reminded me of just a brilliant insight of Stephen Covey and Truman Matson. They wrote a book about, let me see, I better get this right. They co-wrote a book together called Marriage and Family Gospel Insights. And one of the things that Stephen Covey, I think it was his chapter, really opened my mind to was that different types of problems. The problem here, for my specific example, was that I wasn't married. But he he used a boy that doesn't clean his room. But the problem was he had a messy room. But was that a, and he had three categories, was that a motivation problem? Was it a value problem? Or was it a competency problem? I think actually he did them in the order, was it a value problem? Was it a motivation problem? Or was it a competency problem? Now, I'd never thought of these three before. But a value problem was, I don't see why a clean room is important. Ah, see, that's now we're getting somewhere. That's a value problem. What is then a motivation problem? Well, I know I should have a clean room, but I just don't want to do it. So that would be a motivation problem. A competency problem was, I don't know how to clean my room. And maybe this is a very young child or something, but we all have that. Sometimes it's not that I, I want to do the right thing. I know it is the right thing. So value problem, I know it's the right thing to do. Competence or motivation problem, I want to do the right thing. Competency problem, I don't know how to make this happen. And particularly when we're speaking about marriage, this is a very unique thing because it involves someone else's agency. And God doesn't, you know, force people or violate their agency. It's a a whole new interesting thing. I don't think anyone will be held accountable for not marrying in this life in the same way as other commandments that they would be held accountable for that are completely within their control. And so that idea was really helpful to me. I also discovered that sometimes as I went around at EFY or whatever, 
and would talk to the young people about the importance of, for example, going on a mission. I remember one kid said to me, you know, I want to go on a mission, but I'm just paralyzed by fear because I, I don't know how to talk to people. It wasn't a value problem. And usually I'd been harping on the, you should go, it's great, it's, it's like paying tithing on your life, blah, blah, blah. But his problem wasn't a value problem at all. He knew it was a good thing. He just thought, I can't do it. It was a competency problem. And the, the way Stephen Covey addressed this is you wouldn't solve a plumbing problem in your house with a tennis racket. The tool doesn't suit the problem. And sometimes I have been in my teaching trying to teach a value solution to a competency problem. So, very interesting. And that helped me love these verses. Paul's saying, I, I want to be, and I think this is more generally about just struggling with his natural man. I know to do the right thing, but sometimes I mess up. How to perform that which is good, I find not. So then we get Paul saying in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. Which is exactly what uh, Nephi said in 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 17. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to be as wretched as Nephi. Because he struggled with that too, as we all do. We struggle with the, the natural man or the natural woman within us. So getting our motives right is one thing. Understanding what is right, the value problem is another thing. The competency problem, that's what we're all trying to learn how to do. I know that what I ought to do, I want to do what I ought to do, but how do I do it? That's the competency problem. So I appreciate Paul saying that. That helped me a lot. Now moving on in Romans 7, verse 6, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now in 2 Nephi 9, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life eternal. And seminary teachers love that because if you take the first letter of spiritually minded is life eternal, it spells smile. <laughs> so you'll see a lot of people have the word smile in their margins in at least the English translation, right? One of the things, important doctrines were taught in verse 17 is that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, some of our critics get uncomfortable with us talking about the fact that we are intended to become like God. Well, this is one of those verses that says we're, we are heirs with Christ, we'll be joint heirs with Christ. Uh, verse 18 of Romans 8 is a wonderful verse. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I put in my margin, Doctrine and Covenants section 58 verse 3 says, Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. That sounds very much similar to what Paul said. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us clearly in a future time. And kind of a similar feeling in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. If you've heard me speak before, 
in one of the talks that's there at the our Turtle House app is the the oh that's bad no that's good. I can't remember which talk it is, but they used to do a skit on old country music variety show called Hee Haw and oh that's bad well this happened oh that's bad no that's good why because this oh that's good no that's bad why because this and they go back and forth with that you can find that talk if you want but you can just google hee-haw oh that's bad no that's good but they work together for good sometimes we can look at some of the hardest things we've been through and see how god could turn it to good and he's really good at doing that good example is losing the 116-page manuscript of the book of Lehi, but the Lord had already made provision by having the book, the record of Nephi. And when that happened and that was lost, the Lord directed Joseph Smith to use the record of Nephi and says, it throws greater views. So even though they lost the 116 pages, it ended up being better what we what we ended up getting in First and Second Nephi through greater views on the gospel, I think it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. So that's just a good example. All things will work together for good. And then towards the end of uh, Romans 8, I think this is, I mean, Paul is beautifully poetic here. He could have just said, listen, God loves us. And instead, he goes on and on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then gives a list. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Skipping to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's beautiful. He could have just said, God loves us, but... Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And he gives this, this this powerful verse. Recently, I was speaking at a young women's camp, and that's what they asked me to talk about, was that God loves us. And how nice to be able to use that verse. So strongly, Paul is saying, listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, a few things from Romans chapter 12 that are beautiful. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can be conformed to the world, given to peer pressure, social trends, or transformed through Christ. Kind of a verse that has made me laugh over the years, Romans 12, 20, and 21. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Treating him in such a way that is totally opposite of what he's expecting, and that's like hitting, putting coals of fire on his head. And this is a repeat of Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. But then verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I can imagine the King James translators writing that down and looking at each other and saying, Yeah, that, that works. That was good. We got that one. <laughs> Another verse that I've enjoyed, verse Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. That's an awesome imagery. 
armor of light. Darkness is not armor. It may seem like it. Not to the world, but let's put on the armor of light. There's some really nice teachings at the end of Romans 14 about just getting along with people. Verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Yeah, that's not how we should treat each other, trying to put stumbling blocks or make each other fall. Go down to verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may one may edify another. So this, to me, is a repeating the Savior's idea of blessed are the peacemakers. It's always nice to be able to find people who are good at de-escalating a situation of getting us all on the same page and of making for peace. One of the things that I worry about when we talk with young people about standards or commandments is if we're trying to persuade them too harshly, we come across as we are telling them what to do or telling them how to live, when the fact is it, that that can start to be construed as, and this is the way I like to say it, you know, leaders against youth or parents against youth, when in fact, this is all of us against Satan. It's all of us against the adversary. We are all in this together. And last week, as Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And Satan would like to get us internally fighting with each other, but this is all of us trying to overcome Satan and overcome evil with good. We are all in this together. We're all in the same boat, and we all need the Savior and His atonement. Well, hopefully this has been helpful for you today. I enjoy the book of Romans. I'm amazed at some of these really beautiful phrases that we find in here and grateful that even though some of Paul is hard to understand, that we have these powerful phrases that can help us and give us power to get through life. I hope this has been helpful, and we'll see you next time. 